0: Welcome to the Special Story Podcast. I'm Sharon, and I'm Stephen, and we're just here talking about our lives raising kids with special needs. So we are coming to you today from a winter wonderland.
1: Oh yeah, lots <laughs> of snow out there.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. It's I. I mean, I think I think it's debatable. I think the wonderland part of it is maybe debatable, but uh, it still looks pretty now. Yeah. I, I grew up in upstate New York, so I can attest to the fact that after a little while, the wonderland. Part of the snow kind of fades and you're just left with like gray, yucky, wet stuff. Yeah. But for now, we have about seven to 10 inches of just this like beautiful, pristine, picturesque snow, which for Virginia in January to get seven to 10 inches in a weekend like we just did is somewhat unusual. Yeah. So it's been, it's been kind of fun.
1: Yeah. It was really fun. The timing was, was helpful. It didn't happen like, you know, in the middle of the work day or, it uh, didn't catch anybody totally off guard. I do think that except the, for me, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, Sharon, you've been super busy with so many things, so I guess you hadn't had a chance to.
0: Um, I think I just kind along. of yeah. I, can, I think I kind of forgot to like read the weather. And also, I just want to say, we live in Northern Virginia, outside of DC, and Northern Virginia. We are just famous. We, as like an area, are famous. Like we're just panickers, all of us. So people panic about the weather here all the time. And basically, if you even say the word snow. People will immediately stop what they're doing and they will run to the nearest grocery store and they will just take everything off the shelf. Yeah. And I can attest to this because typically I'm one of those people, yeah. <laughs> much to the annoyance of all of my like hipper, cooler, younger friends who are much more carefree than I am and constantly make fun of me for it. Yeah. But despite that fact, I'm like, well, I have two kids and you know I don't want to get snowed in. So I'm typically one of those people who's like at the grocery store buying bread, buying milk, buying everything. Except for this time, because somehow I completely missed the memo that we were getting 7 to 10 inches of snow, which again, in Virginia, that means that like you don't get plowed out for like 24 hours. Where I grew up, if you get 7 to 10 inches, the next morning it's like nothing happened and everybody goes about their business. Right. Down here, not so much. So I will say that I did not fully prepare for this storm. We got through it. On Sunday. We did get through it. We did. We did. I mean, we ran out of milk for Lulu. We ran out of applesauce, which is like one of her two main food groups. We ran out of a few other things. But you know what? We were fine. In the end, yeah. it was fine.
1: It was a good weekend. It was a lot of fun.
0: Luckily, the snow did not start until Saturday afternoon when Max and I were on our way back from kind of like our big outing for the weekend, which was to go see a local theater, which put on a production of Newsies. Yeah,
1: so that was really cool.
0: It was really, really cool. They actually did a great job. So the the local theater, it, I mean, they're high schoolers who are acting in the production, but they pull from all the high schools in the local area. And they were really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like whoever their main lead was that was doing the part of Catherine, who's like lead female vocalist, She was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't believe that she was still in high school. Her voice was amazing. Mm. But anyway, like, I love the Newsies. I'm one of five girls, and we grew up in the 90s. So we were all in on the Newsies. It's basically a musical that stars just a bunch of teenage boys who all sing and dance but are all teenage boys. So it's like, you know. If you're growing up in the '90s, you love the Newsies.
1: Yeah, in our family, we didn't, we missed that altogether. And
0: uh, yes, Steve grew up in a family of boys, so not quite the same.
1: Yeah, and so we didn't. I didn't know anything about this really until maybe we were dating or we were married, and I hadn't seen the movie at at, at (laughs) all. And then we, I saw it, and it's a big deal in your family. So deprived. And then we, we definitely got Max uh, on board with with uh, the the movie and the in the singing and all that. And so when we saw that this would be part of the uh, this would uh, at the local theater, yeah, I wanted to get Max to it, and, and uh, it was an opportunity for Sharon and Max to have a really fun time together, and he loved it.
0: So we went to see it at the local theater, and like I said, it was really fun, and we actually didn't get any snow. We got the snow as we were driving home, so it yeah. kind of worked out perfectly.
1: Yeah, and it started to come down heavy, and then at that point, yeah. the NFL games were on, and we enjoyed those playoff matchups and that was really fun and
0: i mean should i alienate our entire audience by saying that i'm a big patriots fan and go patriots should i should i do that
1: we <laughs> may want Maybe not reconsider that okay
0: we'll move on but yes i did root for the patriots i am a big patriots fan i am glad they're going to the afc championship yeah now we can move on so getting back to our cliffhanger from last week right i think i think the last thing i said from last week For those who need a little refresher Is that Lulu was having seizures We finally got her in with the neurologist They realized she was actually having infantile spasms Which is very rare but very serious I don't think I actually mentioned on last week's podcast That when I was talking about how serious they were That one of the things the neurologist told me Was that for every day that infantile spasms goes untreated The child will basically lose an IQ point as an adult permanently so like Lulu went untreated for about five days, so she lost. I mean, I'm assuming she probably lost about five IQ points. Anyway, so it just it does go to show how important it is to get kind of that early response. And so,
1: and I don't think there's any way they can scientifically say this this many IQ points are going to be. Oh yeah, impacted. no. But the but point is, is that it's, it's, it's just serious. Kind of a, it's a rule of thumb. It's really. a rule of thumb. It's serious. Yeah, and you know, moms and dads just trust their instincts, and 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 you'll be you'll be. You'll be fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So once she got diagnosed, so I think the very last thing I said was that once she got diagnosed and we put her on medication, she was on a really high dosage of prednisolone. So prednisolone is just the children's version of prednisone, which is a steroid. So immediately, like when Lulu began taking it, she started getting really hungry and eating a lot more and she put on a lot of weight. Yeah. So I will post some pictures if you go to specialstory.com, which is special... Story, S-T-O-R-E-Y.com. Um, I'll put some pictures up of Lulu and kind of like a before and after of what she looked like pre-steroids and post-steroids yeah. because the difference was a bit alarming. They also told us a lot of times with kids who are on steroids, I mean, you know, you know how they talk about like roid rage? Mm-hmm. Well, I think for a lot of kids, it can make them like really angsty and just kind irritable, of irritable. Yeah. Um, I've heard that ki- kids often don't sleep well. For whatever reason, the medication seemed to have the opposite effect on Lulu and she just started sleeping all the time. Do you remember that? It was crazy. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it was kind of a weird thing because again, it was like she had this development, this kind of sudden developmental regression. So -hmm. it's like all of a sudden she's not rolling over. She's not smiling. She's, her face is kind of expressionless and then she just starts sleeping all the time. Mm So for several weeks, it's like it was almost like she was like a newborn again.
1: Yeah, it was very. It, it was interesting. A huge, bloated, like yeah,
0: crazy. It was like this newborn
1: coexistence of like we were there was this relief that that the uh, seizures had stopped. Right. So so on the one hand, there was relief that the seizures had stopped, and we were like, this is good, right? This is a good thing.
0: Yeah, because once we got her on the medication we saw like her seizures, we saw them kind of subside immediately. So once we got her on medication, we saw an almost immediate effect of the seizure stopping, mm-hmm. which was really, really relieving. Mm-hmm. But of course, you never know. I mean, in the moment, you don't know if they're going to come back or not. Right. Hers didn't, but mm-hmm. obviously we, that we were going... looking, looking out for that.
1: Right. So like that on the one hand, there was a lot of relief. The seizures yeah. had stopped. Yes. But on the other hand, we we're like, oh, and this is the other side of that is that Lulu's obviously just not – she's not herself.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and uh, you know, so and, – And
0: it's hard to know, like, how much of the fact that she's not herself is from steroids because now she's, like – again, she's, like, hopped up on steroids. And so, and how much of it is this whole developmental regression? So mm-hmm. it's, like, you're holding this, like, again – I mean, the fact that she was enormous, we, we pretty much figured it would go away once the steroids stopped. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't something that caused me too much concern. But still, you're just kind of looking at her and you're, like, gosh, like – You know, I mean, yeah, she's right now, she's not really doing much. Like, she's not interacting with us at all Mm -hmm. versus what you would typically see from a six month old, which is, you know, some rolling and some interaction, some laughing, which was something she had just started doing and just all these other things again, that are, that are typical to that six-month development mark, mm-hmm. even though she has Down syndrome, even though she was a little bit delayed, she, at, that, at that time, before she had the seizures, she wasn't super behind on her milestones. Mm-hmm. So it was a big jump from a couple weeks to go to that to just having her almost just be like, just completely motionless mm-hmm. and not interacting with us at all. So yeah, so it was, it was kind of a big jump and we were kind of just watching her, not knowing quite what to expect. But basically, the next thing that happened in this whole cycle of events is that I was working one weekend in late – I think it was the last weekend of January. So she got put on medication in the beginning of January. A couple of weeks went by. And then I, there was just a weekend I happened to be working. Steve was actually just flying in, I think, from Vegas. I think you had gone – San
1: Francisco. From San Francisco. Yeah. Thank
0: you. You know, He had gone for almost a week. He had been gone for almost a week. And you felt like you had picked up a cold on the plane. Mm-hmm. So typically, under this circumstance, we would not really have had Steve taking care of Lulu but because I had to work that entire weekend, what are you, you going to do? We don't have family that lives like particularly close by. No one that you could just pick up in the moment and call them and be like, hey, can you come over and spend all day with the kids for two days? Mm -hmm. Like we just don't really have anybody like that. So we start to notice that she's coming down with the cold symptoms. And we just assume that she's picked up whatever it is that Steve has. But again, it wasn't anything that really knocked Steve out. So we didn't really think all that much of it. Mm -hmm. Like we just thought, oh, she's getting a cold. And again, like the doctor didn't tell us any cold that she gets is going to be a really big deal for her. So I actually, at the time, I did not really equate the fact that she was on the steroids as a huge cause for concern if she got her cold. Mm-hmm. So she gets the colds. She starts getting sick. And, I mean, as with all colds, it's like she starts getting sick. She starts to cough. She gets congested. We kind of start doing, you know, the your typical things. We spread the saline. We do this. We do that. You know, put her in a steam bath. Those things don't really seem to be doing too much. But then as the week went on, she was definitely getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And by the time the by the time the next weekend comes around, so now it's been a week since you came home, mm-hmm. I, f- I remember that she started – like her cold just seemed like it was getting a lot worse. Like she was coughing really hard, like this really dry cough, really dry like barking cough. And like when she was breathing, like I, I can't – Like, I don't know how else to explain it, except like her breathing just seemed kind of uneven. And I think at the time we had actually just moved her into her own room, but on Saturday night, so a week after Steve got home, that Saturday night, I actually moved her back into our room just so that I could monitor her. And I remember I actually called the on-call doctor, said to him like, you know, listen, my daughter, she's on steroids, she's got all this stuff going on with her, you know, and now she's got this bad cold and I just, I feel like her breathing sounds weird and I don't know if you remember this, but he said count her breaths I per relax. minute. Yep. So he he's telling us, okay, well, he's like, it, it doesn't sound like she's in like true distress right now. He's like, but I, if I were you, I would time how many breaths she's breathing per minute. And if you get over like 50, go to the emergency room. So I was like, okay. And that, that was helpful to me because then I had something kind of objective and scientific to go on. So we're timing it, we're counting it, you know, she seemed okay. And my big thing was, I was like, I'd really rather just wait until the morning. Yeah,
1: of course, this is like middle of the night. This is
0: the middle of the night in the middle of January. So it's like 15 degrees outside. And I'm like, and she's sick. So I'm like, well, if, sh- if she's not like in immediate danger, I'm just going to make her sicker by throwing her in the car and making her wait for two hours at s- in some cold, mm-hmm. dirty emergency room. So we did make it like we made it through the night. Like we kind of took shifts and kept an eye on her and stuff like that just to make sure that her breathing was OK through the night. But first thing in the morning, I got up. I took her to urgent care. And when the doctor at urgent care took a look at her, she was she was kind of like her breathing sounds like she might have bronchitis. Mm -hmm. she was like typically i would just tell you to take her to your local emergency room but because she has down syndrome because she's already having issues you know because she's been having seizures recently and she's now she's on steroids for seizures she's like if i were you i would take her directly to the children's hospital the closest one for us is i know of a fairfax which is out in like falls church probably 40 minutes from us and she was like, I would just take her straight to I Fairfax. They're gonna have the specialists. She's like, I just think your your daughter's like medical condition at this point is complex enough that you're mm-hmm. not just gonna want your local hospital doctor caring for her. You're gonna want somebody who's a specialist.
1: Yeah, I mean I think it was more since there's the the children's hospitals just down the road. Yeah, it's just as close as any other hospital. Basically, why not go there? And I think that was right. just really we thankful it was, for that advice. Yeah, it was, it it was have, really good it advice. Fast forwarded the whole journey. Yeah, we didn't have to hop hospitals. We yeah, because truthfully, to, yeah,
0: I mean what, now now we know again now that we've had more experience with all this stuff. Now we know that if we had gone to the local hospital, they would have just transferred us to Fairfax anyway mm-hmm. to the Children's Hospital there. But it just kind of saved us that step of having to check in at the emergency room at the local hospital and then get transferred and that whole thing. So. It was really good advice, and I I was really thankful that she was just like. Because I mean, she was just like, "Listen, this is just me talking. Mm -hmm. You know, just this is just my two cents. You can go to whatever hospital you want to, but if it was me, I would just go to the Children's Hospital. Like your daughter, her her medical condition right now is just it's just above and beyond what a local hospital is going to be able to do, especially with the fact that she has Down syndrome, the fact that she has these seizures and everything else. So. So after I went to urgent care, I basically went home, packed a bag, assuming that we were not going to be home Mm -hmm. overnight. I packed a bag for us and went straight to, I know, the Fairfax. And then when we got there, we went to the emergency room there and they they tested her for RSV and she came back positive for RSV. So at that point, they knew that she had RSV. But typically with RSV, it has like kind of like a five day window Mm -hmm. where... They usually say it, it's it got like a five-day lifespan, and day three is usually the worst. And at this point, this is like Sunday afternoon, and they said, well, when did her symptoms start? And I'm, I was telling them, well, her symptoms started kind of a while ago, but they, you know, they kind of intensified, if you will, on like Thursday or Friday. So they thought that when I was there on th- Sunday, they were thinking that's day three. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, well, she has RSV, but you're probably seeing the worst of it right now. They're like, let's hold her for a few hours. We'll give her some, like, I think they call it like wall air. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe some medical professional could like clarify this, but it's like there's oxygen you can just get. I think you literally get it from the wall. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just a little bit of oxygen just to help her breathe. And, you know, they're like, let's just put her on some, you know, room air, or wall air, or whatever it is, and just a little bit of oxygen. We'll just see how she does. So this is like, so this is like in the ER. So we wait for a few hours. But her breathing doesn't get better in fact i think it actually started to get worse and they were like okay we think we'd like to admit you and keep you overnight just for observation at this point like it just it just did not seem like there was a whole lot of concern i think they thought that she was going through the worst of it right in that moment Mm -hmm. so they were like okay we'll admit you we'll keep you overnight and we'll just kind of see how things go we don't have a bed yet of course they never (laughs) have I mean, does any hospital ever have like a bed just ready and waiting for you? It actually ends up taking us. We spend eight hours in the emergency room, honestly, just kind of monitoring her and just waiting for a bed. Mm -hmm. But finally get a bed. We move up. And then the next day. So overnight, she goes from just kind of being on, on like the wall air or whatever. But she's kind of getting worse. So they're like, okay, we're going to put her on like what they call like the high flow oxygen. Again, like just to kind of help her, just to give her a little support, just to do this, just do that. Okay, fine. But then the next day, it's like that doesn't seem to be enough. And so it's like gradually they keep increasing the amount of oxygen they're giving her. So at some point, it becomes necessary. I think once they switch her to high flow, they have to do the feeding tube and the IV They probably did the IV when they first admitted her, but they have to put in a feeding tube because I think once they do the high flow, it's too hard for them to eat with like all this oxygen like rushing into their Mm -hmm. (laughs) like rushing into their lungs. So they put her on the oxygen, they put in the feeding tube. She's got an IV, so now she's like I I don't know. It just it just it started to feel a bit more serious. is, Is what I'm trying to say.
1: You you got into the hospital.
0: I got to the hospital on Sunday around noon. I got. Upstairs and actually admitted at like midnight or something like that. So this is like Monday. So within probably 12 hours of actually getting into the room, like Monday around noon, all of a sudden she's – I mean she's kind of going downhill fast basically. Mm-hmm. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, because every time the nurses come in, it seems like they're increasing her level of oxygen. Yep. And like I said, now at this point, they put in the feeding tube. And once they put in the feeding tube, you are you kind of like, I mean, the feeding tube is not something that they're going to put in unless you're going to be there for a while.
1: Yeah.
0: So it just it just started to feel... There's a uh,
1: commitment on their side. They're like, this is... We're yeah. Gonna, you know, we're going to hunker this, down. And-
0: yeah. It, it just seemed like it was getting a bit more serious. Because again, when we were in the ER, I think they thought this was the worst of it. Mm-hmm. But then 12 hours later, now she's a lot worse. So it's like I think they just kind of – they just kept thinking, oh, this is the worst of it. Because even on Monday, they were like, okay, well, maybe you were off by a day. Maybe this is the third day. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, she's also got this terrible cough. So now they're telling me – I can't remember if they told me this when they admitted her. But now they're definitely saying she doesn't just have RSV. She's got RSV bronchiolitis. Mm -hmm. So she's got RSV. She's got bronchiolitis. But the problem is that they can't – I think typically what they do with bronchiolitis – Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they usually administer some sort of a steroid to help open up those, like, bronchial tubes. Mm -hmm. The nurse told me, typically, in your daughter's situation, we would give her steroids. Mm -hmm. But part of the problem is that she's already on such a high dosage of steroids for her seizures that we cannot give her any more steroids. So other than giving her a lot of oxygen, there's not really a whole lot else that they can do. Like they're doing like the breathing treatments and they're doing like a nebulizer treatment and stuff like that. But it just seems like, you know, all through Monday, she's just kind of steadily, I wouldn't say alarmingly, because nobody ever acted like they were alarmed to me. Maybe they were more alarmed than they let on. But she's just steadily going downhill. Mm-hmm. Like she's getting worse and worse. Like it seems like every hour she's going downhill. So by... Monday night and at this point we've only been admitted for 24 hours they're telling me okay she needs more oxygen than we can give we were in like the moderate on like the moderate care floor mhm so they're like well, we she really needs more oxygen than we can give so we're going to transfer you to the picu so first thing tuesday morning they transfer us into the picu so that they can give her more oxygen and now we're in like the full war zone if you want to call it that in some ways that's good because we had Nurses that were really, you know, that are on top of everything, and they're checking in every two hours, and they were just—I mean, they were great, and I love yeah. the nurses. But as the parent, you re- now you really feel like there is cause for panic. Whereas, again, like going back to Sunday afternoon, I thought that they were just going to monitor her and send her home. Mm-hmm. Now, not even two days later, we're in the PICU. This is a full thing. This is like, like this is there's actual real cause for alarm now. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that a, a lot of times what they look for with infantile spasms, the the risk that the seizures are going to come back. So her seizures had subsided for several weeks, but a high fever can be known to actually spike them to come back. Mm-hmm. So the whole time that we're trying to treat this RSV bronchiolitis issue, we're also watching and waiting to see if these if these infantile spasms are going to come back. Mm-hmm. And if they do, I don't know what we would have done because... We can't really give her any other medication at this point. You know what I mean? It's like she's fighting so hard just to breathe and just to make it through the day that it's like if she had had seizures on top of that, honestly, I don't know what they would have done. So Tuesday was really kind of probably like one of the most difficult days. And I think at some point they actually did talk about intubating her, which is where they actually put like the breathing tube down the throat mm-hmm. just to really like if the if the child truly cannot breathe on their own. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it never made it to that point. I, Wednesday and Thursday, I feel I feel like she just started to kind of level out, where she wasn't getting better, but she wasn't getting worse. Right. So for like two days, she just hung in this balance of like she's not getting better, she's not getting worse, she's not getting better, she's not getting worse. She just kind of was like I don't know, I don't even know how to put it except she was just there.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and keep in mind, you know, this is this is the you've been you know, four straight nights at the hospital for you you know yeah. getting pretty poor rest and for Well yeah moms and the, the PICU, they come it, in every
0: 2 hours so yeah. you so, do not sleep through the night ever and there's like yeah. the beeping the monitor the beeping of the monitors I don't know what it is with the beeping of the monitors but I feel like I've talked to other moms or I've heard other moms say this and it is like it's like it's just this very I don't know it's just this very sensory experience that you really associate with the hospital which is just like that constant beeping. Like for 10 days, you just hear this constant beeping.
1: And I'm coming in and I'm visiting you, but you're not really getting, I mean, you're really kind of just, you're in there, in the room with Lulu, 24 hours a day, not getting a lot of rest. And I was going to say like for parents listening, for those of you who've been in the hospital, even just overnight with your child, you know, it does start to, kind of wear you down and, and kind of, yeah, it affects you. And so well, not
0: just that, but time just really starts to slow down. Like it feels like you are there. I mean, I was there for 10 days and it felt like I was there for a month, but yeah, it was just, it was just a long, long 10 days. Like, I mean, it, it is weird how like hospital life just, it just takes on a life of its own. Like I would get up in the morning. I would, you know, order breakfast. It was like it was like I started to create all these like routines for my like hospital routines. Yeah, like hospital like the routines. highlight of my day was when they have this little snack cart that comes through at like three o'clock, and they have like fresh smoothies. Like that the I, that some I don't know some nice business just donates, so they'll just bring them through, and you can get a smoothie and a snack. And it was like every day, I was just like, okay. If I can make it till three o'clock, the snack cart is going to come through because it's just, it's just, it's so isolating and you're just, you're mm-hmm. all alone. And it was like, I started, I felt like I was befriending the snack lady. Like we would talk and she was friendly and mm-hmm. anyway, and just, I don't know. I started to have like my favorite nurses and mm-hmm. so, yeah, but it is, it's just, it's just a long time. It's just, I mean, most of the time you are, you're just there kind of in isolation by my, by yourself for those ten days, you're just kind of sitting and you're worrying and you're watching your baby and you're just doing it by yourself, just mm-hmm. kind of all alone in this like quiet room, waiting for you don't know what.
1: Yeah, I think was part of it was which was exhausting and was kind of what we're telling you is that we didn't know how long you were going to be there and so that's right. that's part of the, yeah. the challenges is, is not knowing and it yeah. became very clear that while there was a very very high volume of RSV cases, they had said that they had that winter right yeah, which on one hand was like okay. Um, good, you know they 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 know what they're doing. They do this all the time. On the other hand, Lulu did not follow their pattern. No, of she experience didn't. at all. No. so they didn't know. It was they clear. did not after seem after to know. After a while, we started to realize they just didn't know right. where this was where going. this was going.
0: Because when we first came in on Sunday. Like I said before, they, they were telling us originally that like they were like, you know, it's you know, RSV, it's scary, it's a virus. They were like, but it is a virus, it will run its course. You'll be out of here in a few days. And it's like when we first came in, that's what they told us over and over again. And once we got into the PICU, that those kind of like reassurances kind of stopped. Yeah. And I think the reason is exactly what you're saying because I think this virus just was not following any of the normal patterns. Like at this point, you know, we knew she had come down with with this cold almost a week ago mm-hmm. and it was actually getting worse like every day it seemed like it was getting worse instead of getting better.
1: And I think it really was the maybe the first time we really it sunk in the, what her heart condition mm-hmm. meant in yeah. the, in her life. Yeah. And so um, you know what was what was yes she had infantile spasms yes she was on um, steroids that's true yes she had Down syndrome but what what like what is why was well, it's yeah. so different than all these other babies that are coming through, coming like, and leaving the hospital I feel
0: like if this were a movie this would be the part of the movie where that character who's always kind of been off on the sidelines you know all of a sudden enters center stage and is like. I'm responsible for every bad thing that's ever happened. You know, and you're like, oh, I never even noticed that person before. And that's what her heart condition was like, because truthfully, she was born. So at this point, she is six months old. And she's just gotten a, like a seizure diagnosis. I have given zero thought to her heart condition at this point. You know There's what been I mean? no
1: medical reason to give we it have, any First of
0: all, we haven't had any medical reason. And second of all, we've been really distracted first by the fact that she has Down syndrome and then by the fact that she has this crazy seizure disorder. Mm-hmm. So it's like we don't have any time to be running around dealing with problems that have not manifested themselves yet. Until we get into the PICU. And in the PICU, they start telling us, well, a big part of the reason that it is taking her so long to get over the RSV is because she has two holes in her heart. She has two ASDs, atrial septal defects. I mean, the nurse on the PICU told me, she said, yeah, basically the PICU right now is full of babies with RSV and heart conditions. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh. So now we've got like this like weird trifecta of like conditions like... She's got her heart condition, she's got RSV, and she's got seizures. I don't really get the sense that they knew quite when she was ever yeah, gonna get out of there.
1: I, I, the way I kinda of remember them is that they were they were they were sharp. They were awesome. We were around awesome professionals. On the one hand, you know, they, they were all over it, but they they just didn't know how long it would take for Lulu to run this for her body to run this run its course right. and get through this. And that was sort of like the difficult part because five, six days into it. You know, we're sort of going okay. Nothing's changing. Like, shouldn't something be changing at this point? And and yeah. it took so long. Yeah. And finally, was a date. What day was it when finally things started to get better? Like, oh my gosh, you know, it just took. I
0: forever. think it was Friday. So she entered the hospital on a Sunday. She entered the pick you first thing on a Tuesday morning, and I think it was Friday before we saw any actual improvement. And slow then improvement, it by was, the and it was so slow. Yeah. And meanwhile, it's like, I'm just sitting at the hospital. I didn't know any of this was going to happen. So I, I have to keep emailing my boss every couple of days to tell her like, hey, we're still here at the hospital. We're actually still in the PICU. I don't know how long we're going to be here. Like everything's just completely on hold. Like we have, we're trying to figure out how to get Max back and forth to school. Steve's trying to figure out how to get back and forth to the hospital. Everything is just on hold. I'm there. Yeah, like Steve said, I'm kind of up at all hours because in the PICU, you just – you kind Mm -hmm. of don't sleep. That's not – it's just – that's not really a thing. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, when you're in the PICU, like, the purpose is, like, to keep your child alive, not for the parents to get a bunch of rest. But, um, yeah, it was just – I don't know. I just remember a time passing so, so slowly. Do you
1: want to talk about – I think this was one of the – maybe this was the beginning, perhaps, of – this realization of how tough Lulu was.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. this
1: is. I feel like the the staff again. Tons of great nurses and doctors are cycling through, on you know, all throughout the day. So lots of different people are seeing her. Lots of different doctors, yeah. and nurses, dealing with their with the with the tubes, with with drawing blood, with every, everything uh, they were yeah. doing. Mm-hmm. And they just kept saying, "My goodness, this is one tough girl." Yeah, and so you know, again, kind of like. They were genuinely, like, impressed and surprised at what a tough person she was, what a tough little baby she was. So that was kind of like the beginning of us kind of seeing this side of Lulu.
0: Well, it all started when they went to put in her feeding tube.
1: Mm-hmm. Because,
0: you know, if again, if you've had experience with this, either yourself or with a child, it's like – that can actually – it can be painful because they're threading something like down into like your stomach. But often, especially with babies, they they don't get it on the first try. Like there's – it just – it has to be positioned just so. So it's not too high. It's not too low. And so a lot of times, you know, with babies, it's just – it's painful and it's uncomfortable. And with Lulu, they had to do it multiple times mm-hmm. to just to get it. I mean, they have to – I mean, it's very it – it's it's just a very specific thing. Um, and again, it's – our nurses were great. So this is totally no – insult to them it's just I think it is just something that is difficult to do Mm -hmm. and it's very common that it has to be done multiple times and so when they did it to Lulu they did it twice and she literally never cried once and they just they couldn't believe it they were like I can't believe she's not crying like I mean she reacted to it so I mean it's not like she was just so drugged up that she couldn't feel it Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but I think she would just kind of squirm and whimper and then she would just kind of like go back to just she was just so easily soothed but Lulu's always been like that. Like, Lulu is really, really tough. Like, she's tough and she's very easily, like, she soothes herself very well. Mm-hmm. She's very easily soothed by me or by you. Um, she's just kind of always had, like, a very peaceful quality about her. Um, and that definitely carried over. Like, they said typically when babies have RSV, they are miserable. Like, cause you don't, you don't feel well. Like, she right. had a really high fever. You know, at one point they were, like, doubling up, like, they're, giving her Tylenol and they're giving her ibuprofen at the same time because her fever won't come down with just one. Yeah. But Lulu, I mean, but this whole time, I mean, we were in there for like 10 days. She almost never cried. When
1: we talked about that before, her lose interior strength and sort of and her toughness and how Lulu impacts other people. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I know that's a very common thing with, with uh, children with special needs and how they how they impact so many other people in such a positive way and Lulu was doing that the entire week.
0: Yeah. Well, it it definitely I think it definitely did set her up for just how hard she's fought for everything else. Like this was just the beginning of, you know, just I've seen her fight through so much now, but this was really like the beginning where you're like, wow, this kid, I mean, I just, I can't believe how much she's dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. And she does it all and she never complains. She never cries. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of a crazy experience. But, but again, I think, I think it really, like you said before, I think it really was the first time that we also saw Lulu and just saw, you know, it's like, I think. When you get the Down syndrome diagnosis, you're told a lot of things that your child like probably won't be able to do. Like From the doctor, like, oh, well, they won't be able to do this, or they'll struggle with this, they'll struggle with that, they'll struggle with this, they'll struggle with that. And I think that this was the first time that I really looked at her and I was like, this girl is like a superhero. Mm-hmm. She is doing something that I don't know how most kids would ever handle what she is handling right mm-hmm. now. And she does it all completely uncomplainingly. It was the first time that just really hit me how much... She how much strength she has and just how much of a fighter she is, Mm -hmm. you know, and how much I admire that in her, you know. And again, it's like despite what everybody told me about, well, she might struggle with this. She might struggle with that. And that's just the reality and blah, blah, blah. Like like when I look at her. These are the things that I see. I see like this crazy superhuman strength to just keep going, even in the midst of this insane medical like crisis that she was Mm -hmm. in. She overcame more adversity in in that one hospital stay than I have in my 35 years of life. Yeah. It's hard to imagine, but it's true. Yeah. And I think it was just the first time that I just looked at her and I was like, I can't believe how much I admire her. She is, this girl is six months old. Like, look at what she's doing. She just, she will not give up.
1: And this is why. You hear it so frequently from families that have children with special needs or challenges like that, that they feel that they have been blessed. You know, they are the lucky ones. Yes. To have this child yes. or these children in their lives and their family because you just, it is really something to witness.
0: Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we made it through. So, like, Friday she started to show improvement. Sunday we got out of the PICU and we got back down onto this – Onto, the, like, the step-down unit that we had started in a mm-hmm. week a week before. So we actually saw some of the same nurses that we had seen the previous Sunday. Mm-hmm. And they were all like, are you still here? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, we're still here. We haven't gone anywhere. We just spent a week in the PICU, and now we're back. Like, now we're back to, like, the step-down unit. Um, and then we did finally end up getting discharged on Tuesday. So, yes. So kind of in conclusion, we did. We got out of the hospital on a Tuesday got back home. I mean, it wasn't like we got home and then everything was magically better. We had kind of a lot more issues. Basically, those respiratory issues kind of continued over the course of the next several months. I don't know. Are we going to do a part three about this? <laughs> Maybe next week we can just do a very a much briefer yeah. just recap of weaning off the steroids and just kind of how we handled life after that and stuff like that. Yeah. But luckily, again, luckily that, that was really the worst of it. And after that, you know, we... It, it things did kind of start to normalize again. So that was good.
1: Do you want to do, do, you want to do some shout outs?
0: Yes. So, so today our shout out is to actually a mom that I have met through the Down Syndrome Association of Northern Virginia. And we are not Facebook friends. Her, her name is Michelle. So hi, Michelle. We've been talking kind of back and forth on Facebook Messenger this past week. Um, she's commented a few times when I've kind of talked about Lulu and we're going through her IEP process now. Um, Because she has an older son with Down syndrome, but she is just really knowledgeable when it comes to kids in school and just how best to get them inclusion in school and stuff like that. And she co-authored a book on inclusion for kids with Down syndrome. Wow. Awesome. So I am really excited. So we've been back and forth on that. But she said that she listened to the podcast. So hi to Michelle. Hi, Michelle. I want to read the book. And then I would like to have Michelle on the podcast to talk about the book. No doubt. So we will have some follow-ups. If I can get her on, this is our goal. And so I just wanted to say hi to Michelle. Thank you so much for listening. And I'm going to read the book. And I want to talk to you about it more. So I think it'll be really exciting. And I think that's all we have for tonight.
1: Thank you, everybody.
0: Good night.